Thank you, John. Good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you guys. Good to be here with you. I want to uh, welcome all the people that are joining us online too this morning. I want to remind those of you that are here, we do have communion uh, in the sanctuary here. If you'd like to participate this morning and remember the price that the Lord paid for you, it's available for you who are believers. And I'm going to read a psalm to you. Would you mind standing with me? We're in Psalm 94, Psalm 94, and I'm going to be starting at verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you desire to teach us the word. Father, we ask that you would move among us and touch us and meet the individual needs represented here today. Lord, we thank you again for the privilege to gather openly and freely and to worship you. Draw us into your presence. Prepare our hearts to receive from your word. We love you, Lord, and thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' most holy and precious name, and all of God's people who agreed said amen. Take a minute, turn around, greet somebody, and we'll come before the throne of grace. Thank you. 
with your presence this morning, Lord. Be in this place. Continue to minister to every heart, Lord God, every circumstance, every situation, Lord. Help us to continue in an attitude of worship now as we have Sarah and Ryan with us, Lord. May you bless them. May you bless their talents. May you bless the words that they speak right now, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's welcome Ryan and Sarah Delmore. from the storm my hiding place Lord your name is still like honey on my lips and there is nothing like your spirit Water to my soul. And Lord, your is still a lamp that guides my feet and shines on my path through the darkness.
I have wandered through the howling wilderness I forgot my father's voice Spent all my inheritance But even there He came to me And then your kindness took me back To where was I first believed You're my Lord and Savior Shepherd of my soul The dark is getting darker But I am not alone Sin and death are conquered Broken by your blood I know there's nothing stronger than your love. Lord, your name is still like honey on my lips. And there is nothing like your spirit, water to my soul. Lord, your word is still a lamp that guides my feet and shines on my path. Through the darkness, you will lead me home. You will lead me home. With all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. With all of all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. And all of my life, down at your feet, Pouring it out for you And all that you are All that you've done I will worship you With all my heart 
All of my mind All of my soul And all of my strength Jesus I love you With all of my heart All of my mind all of my soul and all of my strength, Jesus, I love you. And all of my life, down at your feet, pouring You are all you've done. I will worship you all of my life down at your feet, born it out for you and all that you are. All that you've done, I will worship you, Jesus. I love you. Oh, my Jesus. Bless you guys. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Sarah. That was great. Let's take a minute and check out the morning announcements.
tent. The tent? My cousin's birthday is on the tent. Cost is two twenty-five. Two twenty-five? That's a lot of money. I think it'll be worth it. There's horses. For sure. Horses. I love horses. I was on a field trip one time when I got to ride a horse, and we took a picture, and my hair looks pretty good. I think there's breakfast. Too. Breakfast, most important meal of the day. I love breakfast. I think there's uh, archery. Too. Archery? I've never tried archery, but that sounds really fun. Well, if you're into all these things, come to Winter Camp. Oh, trust me, I'll be there. March 8th to the 10th. Yep, the 10th. 225. 225. That's my favorite time of the day. I still have money, but oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the rest of the announcements in the bulletin. And wanted to remind you that we do have uh, agape boxes set at the back and in the foyer if you'd like to be a part of the support of the ministry. And right now I'd like to ask Arthur Bean, by the way, Junior high and high school kids, you're dismissed to meet your teachers in the foyer. And parents, they'll be back there at the end of the service. I'd like to ask Arthur Bean to come up and pray for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us such a beautiful morning. Thank you for your love and for your grace. We are just in awe in how much you do give us. I'd like to pray today for those that are, that are troubled, those that are ailing, and those that are going through personal trials, Lord. We ask that you cover them, Lord. Heal them and open their eyes knowing that you are always there for them, Lord. And as Isaiah 26, 4 says, love, love your Lord forever. For God is your strength. So I go with that, Lord. I'd like to pray for our pastors, for this church, and for all the churches across this, this world. And a prayer for Israel and for these United States of America. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And I say this in Jesus' name. Amen. If ever writer Dia would bring up Robin and Patrick, we're going to dedicate this baby to the Lord. One of my favorite things to do, play with babies up here. They actually pay me to do that. It's amazing. Wow, that's a fresh one. <laughs> All right, come in, come in. Lord, as I lay my hand on Everett, we ask that you would lay your hand on him. Make him a man of God. Fill him with your spirit even now as we pray for him. May he have gifts of the spirit moving through his life. May he become a preacher of righteousness. May, any, may many hear of you through him. Make his life count, we ask, Lord, for eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.
If you wouldn't mind standing with me. We are in Acts chapter 11 as we work our way through the Bible verse by verse. Starting in 10.23, back up a couple of verses so it makes sense from where we were last time. To Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. One more time. Whoever believes in him will receive removal of your sin. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> and those of the circumcision... Excuse me, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they, received, then they asked him to stay a few days. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, up around Jerusalem, that the Gentiles heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, those Jewish Christians, contended with him. They argued with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Oh, no. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven, four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice say to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, Not so, Lord. <laughs> what? Not, Lord? No, Lord? That's not a good... That's an oxymoron, okay? For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, as these Six brethren accompanied me, Jewish believers, from that city. We entered the man's house. His name is Cornelius. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa. Call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will 
be saved. And as they begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, indeed, baptized with water, John the Baptist, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment in history that we're studying when most of us in this room are Gentiles and we have found salvation because your grace has been extended to Gentiles too. We thank you for that, Lord. Fill this place with your spirit. Now again, we ask, speak to us, change us, so that when we leave this place, we'll be different than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Please. I want to do something uh, for a moment that we don't normally do on this holiday, but yesterday was the day of the Holocaust when Auschwitz prison, the Nazi prison concentration camp in southern Poland, when uh, those who had been captured were released. And so it's a remembrance of the Holocaust. And since I just recently returned with Pastor Greg from Israel, I want to take a moment and do what Scripture says, that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So bow your heads with me just a moment. Lord, we in obedience ask you to bring peace to the city of Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, that you've called on us to do that, and we joyfully do it and ask for you to do a miracle there and bring peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed by saying, Amen. 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 Well, this section of Scripture throws a lot of people off. It talks about kosher animals, food that could be eaten now that something had happened, what happened? Jesus died, rose again, and we're moving from the left-hand side of the book, the Bible that you have on your lap, to the right-hand side of it, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to a New Covenant, from a covenant that was based upon 613 rules and regulations, at least according to the rabbis, to a covenant that's based on one rule, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we're at that pivoting point, that, that fulcrum point in the story of the church of Jesus Christ growing. We've, we've gone through the first nine chapters and almost finished with the tenth one, and it was the way that Jesus' church started first in Jerusalem. You remember with Pentecost, 120 people gathered together. All of a sudden, there was a 
huge sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then people started coming to see what the noise was about, and they saw his disciples with these flames of fire over their head, and they heard them speaking in other tongues. They heard, those who came and listened, heard somebody speaking in the mother tongue that they understood as a child. It was a miracle. Peter stood up, gave a sermon, three thousand people got saved. It was only a few days later when he went up on the Temple Mount, healed the man who couldn't walk, he and John, and he gave a second sermon, and 2,000 people got saved. And suddenly the church of Jesus Christ is exploding, it's going north up to Samaria, it's extended beyond Judea, like the county around Jerusalem, and now all of a sudden we come to yet another point where Up until this time, Christians had all been Jews. There were no such things as non-Jewish Christians. And we're about ready to see that tide change. And it's a spectacular change. And the illustration, the, the model, the symbolism that God uses is food. Strangely, because so much of the Old Testament law was based upon what you could eat and what you couldn't so that the Jews would stand out as a people to the rest of the world, and so the rest of the world would see that serving God brought righteousness into a person's lives. So, food, how important is it? Well, my favorite story about food concerns a young man who was eating breakfast with his dad at a McDonald's, and uh, they just finished their their breakfast when an elderly couple came in and sat right across from him. And the son watched as the older gentleman ordered a burger and some fries, and he brought it out and cut it perfectly in half, gave half to his wife, kept half for himself, and then counted out one French fry for her, one French fry for me, and went through the whole bag of French fries. And the kid whispered to his dad, hey, dad, I don't think they have much money. Can I buy him a hamburger and fries so they both have one? He said, well, if you want to, son, but you better ask him first. And so the kid gets up, and he walks over to the man, and he says, uh, Sir, uh, I'd like to buy you a, a hamburger so you both can have a hamburger. And the man said, Oh, oh no, son, you, you don't understand. We've been married for 50 years, and we cut everything down the middle. So I cut the burger in half, gave half to her, half to me, and the french fries, half to her, half to me. And he said, but, but your wife's just watching you eat. She's not eating anything. And she said, oh, oh son, don't worry about it. Uh, it he, it's his turn to use the dentures first. <laughs> Do you have breakfast? Sorry. <laughs> so we are looking at bizarre foods uh, as a symbolism of Gentiles and Jews. There were only Jews who were those people who were from the race of Abraham and his son Isaac, and Gentiles who were everybody else. And so probably most of us in this room, uh, certainly me, have uh, zero. (laughs) I had no Abraham blood in me. But I'm a son of Abraham now because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, That's where this whole thing is going. But right now, 
Peter gets this picture of food. And I've traveled quite a bit, and so I've seen a lot of unusual food in the world. Had to eat food that I normally wouldn't, so I wouldn't, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. You know, we, we have, like, for example, in California, we have all kinds of garden snails, right? But if you're from France or you ever go, they'll call it escargot, and they think it's this great delicacy. Really, those crawl around in my ivy. I don't think I'd eat those things. In China, there, in Japan, there, there's a lot of sea stuff that they eat that's, that's still alive. And, and you know, I don't like to have to kill shrimp with my teeth uh, as they do there, swimming around in a bowl of rice wine. You capture them with your chopsticks and bite the head off so they don't, you get the idea. Philippines, they have balu there. It's, a, it's <laughs> this delicacy that's an egg that is ready to hatch and you eat it whole. Mm, yum, yum. And uh, Sardinia, Italy, I watched a guy take a, a round of cheese and, and put a piece of cloth over it, called a cheesecloth. And he, I said, so what are you doing there? He said, well, I'm waiting for the flies to come and land on it and to lay all their eggs, and in a couple of days we peel it off and we'll scrape off the maggots and put it on bread. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to be here. In England, there's blood sausage. In Switzerland, they, they take a pork intestine and they fill it with blood and let it coagulate. In Scotland, they eat this pausor. It's a sheephead. Yes, all of it. <laughs> Every piece. In Wales, they, they eat crows. Now, I've eaten a lot of crow, but not that way. You know, we have them around here, but uh, we don't try and snack on them. Uh, in the Netherlands, um, they have a salted horse meat sandwich with French fries that are buttered with peanuts, bread on them, like peanut butter. It's just wrong. You know, it's the wrong thing to do to a franchise. So what we feel when we hear about those foods, thank you for torturing me, Pastor, when we hear about it is what the Jews thought when they thought about a Jew going and eating with the Gentile in the first century. Because if people are still eating that way 2,000 years later, that we know that they do, imagine what they were eating in the first century if you didn't have any dietary laws to stop you. So we've seen this uh, thing happen uh, a month in the book of Acts where God uses food to get Peter's attention about Gentiles. So we're not really studying about food. We are studying about the law. But we are really looking at that moment in time where God sent grace out to every person on the planet. And when I say every Gentile, it, it doesn't matter where you were born, the color of your skin, the language that you spoke, whether you are educated or uneducated, whether you are male or female, none of those things matter because God is saying, come whosoever will. It's really a wonderful idea that God has given grace to everyone on the planet. The penalty he paid on the cross 
was enough to satisfy justice for every single sin that has ever been done. We just must accept that. Now, in Acts 10 and 11, there's this pivotal event that happens. Now, God has been working in the heart of Peter, Peter the apostle, and then a Roman soldier, actually an officer by the name of Cornelius, about 30 miles apart. They're both on the coast, and Peter's down in a city called Joppa, and Cornelius, this centurion, he's over 100 men, a very elite legion uh, called uh, the Italian Regiment, and uh, so he's an important officer in the seat of the Roman government in Israel. Jerusalem is the religious seat, but he's up in Caesarea, 30 miles away from Peter. And that's where we break into the story. There's this conflict, and some of the church, when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, that are struggling with Peter allowing people to be baptized who were Gentiles. A person must first be circumcised, they said, in Jerusalem. Had to become a Jew first. So their idea of becoming a Christian was you become a Jew first, get circumcised and go through all the law, and then you can receive Jesus. And so they were putting up a petition. They were putting up a wall to not let Gentiles in. So this section breaks up into three parts. Um, The Gentiles are getting saved in 43 through the last verse of Acts 10. And then Jewish legalism rears its head, 1 through 3. And then Peter's defense, 4 through 18. That's where we're going. Fasten your seatbelts. We'll move a little fast. Verse 43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Now, that's, I believe, the second most important verse in the Bible. The one that most people know is John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him have eternal life. This says, whoever believes in him will receive removal, hello, remission of sins. We pause on that last sentence of Peter's third sermon. He's been preaching to this group of Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And he didn't intend to stop here, but he was interrupted by God. (laughs) And, uh, As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, he tells us in verse 15 of the next chapter. Peter was just getting started. He had this great sermon all worked out. It was going to go on for an hour. Guess what? Gentiles took what he said that whoever believes in Jesus will receive removal of sins, and they jumped on it, as we all should when you realize exactly what that means that all the things that every person that has ever lived, every sin, every wicked thing done or thought since the beginning of time, God will forgive if that person will believe that Jesus died for them. 
let me make it a step simpler. I believe, I trust, I have faith that what Jesus did on the cross by dying paid the penalty for my sin and yours. It's the great exchange, your life for Jesus. It's the best deal going in eternity, let me tell you. If you haven't experienced that yet, don't leave this morning until you have. But we're moving here. John 3, 16, gospel in one sentence. Whosoever believes. Who's a whosoever? <laughs> uh, you are right on it. I'm a whosoever. You're a whosoever. Anyone who believes. Amazing? Yeah, amazing. Verse 44, and Peter, while he's still speaking his words, he's just getting wound up, wound up. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were adored. This house full of people, Cornelius' family, and then some of his Roman soldier compadres were there at his house. All who heard it, Holy Spirit came upon them, filled them, because they believed what he said. They trusted that this had happened. Now, the Holy Spirit fell on people before in the book of Acts. And in fact, there's six other times up to this point. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. In Acts 4, 31, after the arrest of Peter and John, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard him. In Acts 7, 55, after Stephen's death, the Holy Spirit fell on those people that believed Acts 8.14, upon the whole of the Samaritans that believed. And Acts 9.17, Saul in Damascus, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone with Saul. And 10.44, now a group of Gentiles in Cornelius' house has this happen. The Holy Spirit coming upon people. Now, there's no formula for receiving the, re, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts 1 through 4, they wait and they pray. In Acts 4.31, they're praying alone. In Acts 7.55, it's in the middle of persecution. In Acts 8.15, Peter is praying in the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands by a non-apostle in Acts 9. No hands in, in the middle of the Bible study here in Acts 10, 44. So we can't reduce it to a formula. We can't put God in a box. God wants to fill anyone and everyone who would surrender to him. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those people that were Jews that had become Christians that came from Joppa, this city 30 miles away, with Peter, they were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. And that doesn't strike us today because we don't think in those terms. In fact, we're a little bit afraid of those terms because it sounds like a class issue. Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, all of a sudden there's no longer Gentiles and Jews because Jesus died for all. 
So, those of the circumcision, they're astonished by that. They think the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on Gentiles is, is unbelievable. Verse 46, and when they heard them speak with tongues, speaking in a language that they didn't learn, and magnify God, then Peter answered, speaking with tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come to everyone. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Not all are apostles, are they? Not all speak with tongues, do they? But it's a gift that we should desire. Earnestly desire, the next line in 1 Corinthians, earnestly desire all the gifts. So, the question are written in a rhetorical way. The obvious expected answer is no to all of them. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Then earnestly desire all the gifts. You ask for them, verse 47. Can anyone forbid water for baptism? Like letting these Gentiles go in water and be baptized, these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Notice they've already received the Holy Spirit. Notice they're already saved. Hmm. That messes with some people's theology. We just try and take the Bible as it says. Baptism doesn't save you, evidently, but we're all commanded to be baptized in water. Matthew 28, 19 and Acts 2, 38. What happens in baptism? You go under the water and you identify with Jesus Christ in the grave. Romans 6 says, when we come out of the water, we've said, I'm being raised to new life. Because someday you will be. What? You will die. Wow, news, Pastor. <laughs> Every one of us, unless there's a rapture, today would be a good day for a rapture, but... Unless there's a rapture, every one of us will die. Then what will happen? Seeing him, we will be like him if you've surrendered your life to God. You also will be resurrected. And when you see his face, you'll be changed. Instantly, just by looking into his eyes. So said another way, when I die, when I wake up, I will wake up in his presence, in Jesus' presence. And then seeing him, Paul wrote, I will be like him. Because I've earned it? <laughs> no, because it's a free gift of grace. E. Stanley Jones, within this, without pointing it out very strongly, it's a whole study on getting guidance from God, the things that we're supposed to do. So part of God's guidance was for Peter was that both Peter and Cornelius were, were praying, both were willing to do whatever God said, um, but how do we know when it is God speaking to us? How do we know how we're supposed to follow him? E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to Africa uh, just uh, north of uh, 
uh, Abu, uh, which is the capital of Nigeria. And um, he tells the story of a missionary, a friend of his, who got lost in the bush, so thick that you couldn't see in front of you, only a canopy above you. And, uh, and he, there were a few cleared places, but he found a little native hut all by itself, lost as a rock. And he asked the native if he could lead him out. The native said that he could. All right, said the missionary, show me the way. The native said, walk. He said, what? And so they walked, and they hacked their way through the bush, unmarked jungle for more than an hour. The missionary got worried. He said, are you quite sure this is the way? Why is there no path? And the native said, Boana, in this place, there is no path. I am your path. Jesus said that he is the way. He's the door. And it's not a formula. It's you commit to him personally. He wants an intimate relationship with you and him. Well, Pastor, getting a little personal now. Jesus is very personal. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a while. So he stayed there. Now, a controversy is brewing back in Jerusalem with all the apostles, the other 11, as well as all the Jews who had received Jesus Christ and Pentecost and on down that list. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, kind of like the county around the city of Jerusalem, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now, the, the work of the Gentiles was not a small thing. This is an explosion that's going to fill the whole earth. You and I are part of it. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, those who were Jews first and then became Christians, contended with him. The word means criticized him. Because he had had lunch with these Gentiles. You went up in with uncircumcised men, verse 3 says, and you ate them. You ate with them. You didn't eat them. I'm sorry. You ate with them. Okay, so what's the big deal? In the Middle East, still to this day, if someone asks you to come into their house and have a meal with you, they're saying, I like you. You're my friend. I trust you. Come in. And it's because the meal is shared. Now, we share meals, but differently than... About the closest thing we have in SoCal is guacamole, okay? And so you take your Dorito, we think, and dip it in the guacamole and eat it. And you don't go back, that's double dipping. You know, you teach your kids that when they're little kids, right? In the Middle East, double dipping is where it's at, okay? So they have this mashed raisins and dates and walnuts covered with honey. It's really an amazing dip. Sweet, obviously, but they take a falafel, tear off a piece, and they dip in, and they take a bite, and then going back is just absolutely normal. And so, don't give me that look. You guys kiss each other. It's the same deal. So, they're swapping spit, okay? And they think that's a very intimate thing to do. And so they're just careful who they swap spit with while they're eating. That's the background for this 
eating with them what's a terrible thing. Now, Jesus had this same problem, Luke chapter 5, when Levi, who would later be known as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was sitting in his tax booth where he worked. Uh, he, uh, Jesus walks by him and says, follow me. And he gets up and follows him, leaves his job for the Roman government behind, and, uh, and he follows Jesus. Well, he gets so excited about being saved because it gets to him. He sees it. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven, not by keeping the law, but by following, by believing this man that he throws a party. And we probably should do the same thing when we got saved. So he throws this party. But Levi is a tax collector, and he doesn't have any friends except other tax collectors who Jews hate because they work for the Roman government, and prostitutes. And so he throws a party, invites Jesus to come, and this party is filled with tax collectors and prostitutes. And the Pharisees, who thought themselves so pure, complained to his disciples and said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? How terrible. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus will take anybody. That's why I'm here. You see, I grew up in this city, and some of you know me, which is not necessarily a good thing. But by the grace of God, he took me, who people know in this town, and he put me in this pulpit. So people like you right there who knows me from high school, you're going, God, you'll take anybody. And that's exactly what you're supposed to think. You're supposed to say, if God would take that sinner, he might even take me. Oh, he will. The worst sinner's up here. See, that's the irony of this church. The guy in the pulpit is the worst sinner in the room, but forgiven. Does that give you hope? It's supposed to. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, some of you may have the opposite problem. I, I've talked to people. Somebody stopped me a couple of weeks ago, and three-piece suit guy, and I understand. And... Uh, and he said, uh, I'm, uh, I'm from a different church, and he named the church. And he's got a little pin on and it's one of those pins they give you in this particular denomination that says so many years of coming to every Sunday school, never missing one. And he says, did you see my pin? I said, yeah. Do you guys have any? I said, no, we don't have pins like that. He said, why not? Is it because they don't impress Jesus? And he was insulted. But I meant for it to insult him mildly so that he would think about it. And we talked, and uh, he came back. I don't know if he's here today. He was here last week. So I think God's trying to break through the boxes we build about God and rules and regulations and laws and how do we please him. 
Peter explains why he had lunch with these Gentiles, verse 4. From the beginning, walks them through it. It's the same thing that we looked at in chapter 10. I was in the city of Joppa, praying in a trance. I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, like a, like a ship's sail, let down from heaven by the four corners, and it came to me. It came over to me, and he's up on this patio on top of a roof in Joppa. It's a beautiful city. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air, all kinds of both kosher and non-kosher food. And I heard it, a voice say to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. That's a problem. Not Lord, no Lord in the same sentence. Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. This is the first time we know this about Peter. We know Peter's a fisherman, and Jesus walked by him and said, come, follow me, and he did. But it turns out that he's a very observant Jew. He kept the whole law. He never ate anything. He never had a bacon cheeseburger in his life. <laughs> Poor Peter. Until this time, he probably ordered a second one after he ate with these Gentiles. But the voice answered me again from heaven, verse 9, what God has cleansed you must not call common. He's not talking just about food. He's talking about people. Because in the Old Testament, declared clean, you can't do it yourself, but God can. In other words, we're all unholy. Better illustration, Jesus walks up to ten lepers, and everybody's backing away because they're saying, unclean, unclean. Jesus walks up and puts his hand on one of them, and then another, and he prays for them. Be clean, all ten of them were. You see, God's so holy that he can make broken things clean. That's the whole illustration for you and for me. He took Yes, hallelujah. He takes broken sinners, of which we all are, and he says, I'm going to touch your life. I'm going to touch your heart. And I'm going to change you from the inside. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and put it in a heart of flesh. And I'm going to write my law of love on your heart. This is the new covenant. Love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then, with my spirit within you, I'll cause you to walk in my ways. What? God, when we surrender to him, he does a work in your heart. And all of a sudden, you find yourself uncomfortable with doing the things you used to do when you were a dirtbag sinner. Not you, but some of us were. I don't make light of sin here. I make much of what Jesus paid on the cross. Enough to cover, enough to the great exchange for any sin. Don't say anything is common that God has said is clean. Verse 9, the voice answered me again. What God has cleansed you must not call common. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you 
from all unrighteousness. What God has said is clean is clean. Verse 10. Now this was done three times. God repeats himself three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. And it went away. And at the very moment, Peter's up on the roof. Three men stood at the house where I was, having been sent to me, excuse me, from Caesarea. So Caesarea is this beautiful spot up the coast. And uh, it is, to this day, just stunningly beautiful. That's where the Romans brought all the shipping into Israel. Peter is south of this 30 miles when this tarp comes down, this sail. This Holy Spirit, verse 12, told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren, and he evidently points to the the six Jews who have become Christians that came up with him, and we entered the man's house. Now, he doesn't name Cornelius for some reason, but it's the centurion's house. And he told us, the centurion told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Go get Simon Peter. Bring him up here. Verse 14. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Pretty sweeping statement. Well, what if they sin again? They'll confess their sins, and God's faithful and just to forgive their sins. And you'll want to do that because God's changed your heart. Following still? Who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved? And as I began to speak, Peter's saying, this is my great sermon. I got a 10-point sermon here. I'm sure it's going to take me two hours, but it'll be great. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and interrupted Peter. And upon us at the beginning, just like he did when we were at Pentecost. Then I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John, John the Baptist, indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit fire will burn out the sin in your life and cleanse you. And make you want to serve him. If therefore God gave them the same gift that he gave us, Peter says, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, notice the gift came when they believed, who was I that I could withstand God? I'm not going to go against God. I can't anyway. Verse 18, and when they heard these things, they became silent. All these Jews who thought that you had to become a Jew first before you could become a Gentile. All of a sudden, the initiation's a lot simpler. When they heard these things, they became silent. They quit contending with Peter, and they glorified God because they thought Grace has come to the Gentiles too. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Repentance to turn around, have a change of mind, a change of heart. Metanoia is the Greek word. So 
Go back and think with me about what we read in, in 43. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive removal of sin. That's God's promise. I was reading this week about a missionary, a group of missionaries actually, way back in the 1700s, 1721. They went from Norway to Greenland or Iceland to bring the gospel because there were Intuit people, they were natives to that area who didn't read, didn't write, and were unsaved, didn't even believe in God. And when they got there, uh, the missionaries mistakenly tried to uh, teach these people an intellectual understanding of God. They wrote, these people are in such darkness that it cannot be of any use to preach Jesus Christ to them. At first, we do not even know that there is a God, they said, so let us begin by teaching them the nature of deity. And they began to teach us this theology to them. And after four years, no one had gotten saved. It was a big mistake. So four years later one day, one of the missionaries was reading to an unschooled native, and he told the story that we just read, verse 43. And when he got to that verse, to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sin, the missionary said, he said, I'm sorry, but would you please read that to me again? And he read it again, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. He says, those are wonderful words. Whoever believes, does that mean then that Jesus died for us Greenlanders too? That if we believe, we might receive forgiveness of sins? <laughs> the missionary said yes. And the man clapped his hands and he said, why didn't you tell us that at the beginning? <laughs> you see, we all know that we're sinners, but we need to hear that there's a hope, there's a way to get out of it. And the way to get out of it is through surrender to the creator of the universe. He's waiting for you to do that. Would you stand please and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to earth, that the Son of God came so that we might spend eternity with you. Go back and find life for eternity with our Lord and Savior. Most of us in this room have experienced that, Lord, and we're so thankful for it. But we lift up any who are here this morning that are not walking with you. We pray that you would give them grace, like you did these Gentiles, to believe, to receive you. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe you're here for the first time, somebody was here for the first time last service. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to God, or you did and it's been a long time and you turned from it. This is the moment, this is a tipping point, this is a decision, a crossroads that you have to decide. Will you let God forgive your sins and will you surrender to him? If you do that, your sins are forgiven for eternity. This moment is for you if you're in that condition. I wouldn't do anything to embarrass you, but if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, 
would you let me know that you're ready to surrender to him by raising your hand and looking at me? And I'll just acknowledge that. Anyone here this morning that God is speaking to? Young man right in front of me, God bless you. Smartest thing you've ever done. Young lady, God bless you. Couple, yes, God bless you. Back, very back, God bless you. I see those hands. And you, sir, young lady. Couple, yes, God bless you. If I miss your hand, don't worry, God didn't. He sees everyone. He's been waiting. Those of you that raise your hands, would you please talk to God with the rest of us? We'll do it with you to make it easy. We're just going to ask him to forgive our sins. He's going to do it right where you're standing. So everybody, please say out loud with me, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Those of you that prayed that for the first time or raised your hand, we'd encourage you to go to these double doors. We'd love to give you a Bible and pray with you. Uh, we're going to sing one more worship song. If you need to leave, please do. But if you'd like to join us with worship, please do. Let's sing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his counts upon you and be gracious unto you. And may you be so filled with this Holy Spirit that others look in your eyes and they say, what is the meaning of that smile? And you can say it's Jesus. God bless you. Give somebody a hug before you go home.